Good morning, Grace Church. Morning. Good morning. My name is Brandon. I'm the pastor here in West Bridgewater. Um, And man, it's one of my favorite Sundays of the year. We're going to be celebrating some baptisms at the end of this service, which I'm so excited about. We we baptized a few people last service, which was really exciting. And then this service, I'm looking forward to seeing who who else is going to get baptized. But uh, we're, we're wrapping up today our series called Disillusions, um, which I hope this has been fun for you as, as it has been for me. Um, I, I hope it's challenged you. I hope it's encouraged you. And I hope it's even pushed you to maybe process some of the doubts or questions that you may, that you may have. And in fact, I, I know that our young adult life group um, that's led by uh, Richard and Beverly Baird, I, I just heard about something that they're doing with their their group through the series I thought was so cool. So what they had their young adults do is uh, write down all of their questions or doubts. They put them on a piece of paper. They threw them in a basket. And then each week at Life Group, they've been pulling a question out and just talking about it. They've been addressing it. And so just this past week, the, the, this past week's question was, what does God's protection mean? That's a good question. What does God's protection mean? And they talked about it as a group. And I, I know that this, this series has brought up other great conversations in our church. But this week, we're going to be wrapping up with a really unique story that we find in Mark chapter 9. So if you have your Bibles, or there's Bibles on the seat in front of you, or you have the Bible app on your phone, go to Mark chapter 9, and we're going to be in verses 14 to 29 today, Okay. But before we get there, I remember growing up, uh, I lived in southern Maine, and uh, we had two vacation spots that we would always go to every summer. Um, usually it was like one or the other. So we either went to North Conway up in New Hampshire, uh, to Zeb's. You guys know Zeb's place in North Conway? Iconic. Love that place, right? Did the train ride, all that fun stuff. Or we went to a place called Smuggler's Notch in Vermont. Anybody ever been to Smuggler's Notch? Okay, it's like a big ski town, you know, snowboarding. We went in the summer because it was off-season, and it was cheap, okay? That's what we did. So this is actually, we would, we would hang out in a pool and go hiking, and this is actually a picture of my family and I in a cave that we hiked to. Look at those haircuts. Come on. Come on. That's early 2000s right there. I'm, I'm the one top left uh, that's trying not to smile, and also, I have an awful bowl cut at this, this time in my life. And I'm begging my dad to bring back that mustache. That is a solid mustache. So this was also, I don't know who took this picture. Like, I don't know how we got this picture. This was before iPhones and timers and stuff. So I don't, I don't know if somebody traveled with this. I don't know what happened. But I remember one time, one time, my dad and I went on a hike. It was just us. I, I was probably like 10 or 11 years old. And my dad and I, we went on a hike by ourselves, and we came to this one spot on the hike. Um, now, looking back, I'm like, this had to have been off trail, because this doesn't make any sense. Where we came to this spot where there was like a four-foot gap, right, between where the trail started and where the trail stopped. And so there was a four-foot gap, and then there was a drop. Like, we were, we were hiking up the side of this little mountain range, and th- there was this gap that my dad just kind of hopped across, 
And he looks back at me and he tells me to jump. Now, as a 10-year-old, I'm looking at probably, it was about this wide, probably about four feet. I'm like, this thing's 50 feet wide. Like, how am I, how am I going to make this jump? And then, of course, I'm looking down too and I see this steep drop-off. And I remember my dad saying, you can do it. I will catch you. Like, you can do this, Brandon. But I also remember what I felt in that moment. And what I felt was fear. Fear that I wouldn't make it. Fear that I would come up short. Fear that I wouldn't make the jump. But my dad just kept saying, you can do it. I'll catch you. Like, I promise, Brandon, just just take a couple steps, run and jump, and I will catch you. And I... I trusted, I had faith that my dad would actually catch me and that he would make sure I wouldn't fall. And so I jumped across and here I am today, I made it. Like, I didn't fall. But what do we do when we come to moments like this in our life, where we come to this this gap? And the longer we look at it, the, the larger it gets. The doubt is strong and the questions, they just start growing and growing, these are the moments where we come to like a crossroad. We come to a crossroad. And what in those moments, what we feed our doubt and our questions, oftentimes what we're feeding those things determines where we end up. And we talked a little bit about that last week. But today we're going to look at something different. We're going to look at Mark chapter 9. And we're going to do something um, that maybe different for some of you. We're, we're going to approach this a little um, in a unique way this morning. So here's what I want you to do. Because sometimes we, all that we do is we just hear the words, but they don't resonate with us. We, we miss the power of what's actually happening in God's word because we're just hearing words and we're, we're processing, we're just moving on. Here's what I want us to do this morning. I want everybody in the room, I want you to close your eyes. I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to insert yourself into this story. And I'm going to set the stage for you. And then I'm going to read what happens in Mark chapter 9, verses 14 to 29. So picture this, eyes closed, picture this. You're at the base of a beautiful mountain. And you're standing there and you look around and there is a large crowd that has gathered around a young boy and his father. And you're standing there and you're... You see this young boy, you see him and his dad, and then all of a sudden, there's an argument that starts. There's an argument that starts between Jesus' disciples and the religious leaders, and you look and you see Jesus walking towards the crowd. And when they returned to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd surrounding them. And some teachers of religious law were arguing with them. And when the crowd saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with awe. And they ran to greet him. So you You now run to greet Jesus in this crowd. And Jesus says, what is all this arguing about? And one of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, 
I brought my son so you could heal him. He's possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever the spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth and he grinds his teeth and he becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it, Jesus. And Jesus said to them, you faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So you now see the father, he helps his son over and it says they brought the boy. But when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion. And he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was a little boy, the spirit often throws him into the fire. Or into the water trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. And Jesus looks at the father and says, what do you mean if I can? Anything is possible if a person believes. And the father cried out before Jesus, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. And Jesus pauses and he looks around the crowd. And he saw that the crowd was growing. And he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak, he said. I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. Then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him. And the boy appeared to be dead. And a murmur ran through the crowd as people looked at one another and they said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and helped him to his feet and he stood up. And afterward, when Jesus was alone in the house with his disciples, they asked him, why couldn't we cast out that evil spirit? And Jesus replied, this kind can only be cast out by prayer fasting. I want you to all open your eyes. Could you see it? Could you see the drama? The stress? The anger? The frustration? And then in walks Jesus. There's one commentator, and this is how he describes this scene. He found disputing scribes, a distracted father, a demon-possessed boy, and defeated disciples. He silenced the scribes. He comforted the father. He healed the boy. And he instructed his disciples. And that's who Jesus is. He's everything you need him to be. 
when you need him. Everything. But I want to shift our attention to the father in this story. Because we learn a couple things from the father. And the first thing that we learn from the father is this. Doubt and faith often go hand in hand. Doubt and faith often go hand in hand. Let's go back to the beginning. Jesus arrives and he finds the religious leaders and the disciples. They're arguing. And Jesus comes in in verse 16. He says, what's all this arguing about? And one of the men in the crowd, this is the father, spoke up and said, Teacher, I brought my son so that you could heal him. He is possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever the spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. And so what are they arguing about? Well, the scribes are probably criticizing the disciples for not being able to cast the demon out. The scribes are standing there saying, you should be able to do this. I thought you were really following Jesus. Why can't you cast the demon out? And the disciples are looking back at the scribes saying, if it's so easy, why don't you do it? Okay, you want to criticize us? Well, then why don't you show your power and and cast this demon out? And Jesus enters the scene. And he actually expresses a little bit of frustration, most likely geared at the disciples and the religious leaders. Jesus says in verse 19, you faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Bring the boy to me. And then guess what happens next? They bring the boy to Jesus. But when the evil spirit saw Jesus, when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. This is the power of Jesus. The evil spirit saw him and knew what was coming next. When the enemy stares defeat in the face, he tries to bring as much destruction as possible before he loses. And the evil spirit saw defeat in the face of Jesus and said, I'm going to do as much damage as I can before this guy kicks me out of here. And now we get to a little bit of this doubt and faith because the father looks at Jesus and what does he say? Have mercy on us. And help us if you can. If you can. Now, I detect a little bit of doubt there. He comes to Jesus and he says, listen, I don't don't know if you can heal him, but maybe it will work. Jesus, I don't know if you can restore my marriage, but maybe. Jesus, I don't know if you can help me forgive this person, but maybe. Jesus, I don't know if you can overcome my addiction, but maybe. Jesus, I don't know if you are the son of God, but maybe. And this isn't all we see with the father, right? There's this question, there's this doubt, there's this if you can do this. But what else has he done? He brought his son. He he heard the disciples could cast out demons. He heard this is what Jesus is doing. He heard that he can heal people. So he brings his son in an act of faith. So that maybe they could do the same for him. 
And you know what happens next? It didn't work. He brings his son to the disciples, and it doesn't work. How often in your life when you pray something for a long time and it doesn't get answered the way you want, you just walk away? All right, God, I tried. You know, I invited that person that one time. They never came, so my hands are clean. I did what I'm supposed to do. I'm just going to go home. But that's not what the father does. He doesn't leave and go home. What does he do instead? He goes straight to Jesus. He said, okay, it didn't work here with the disciples. I'm going to go straight to Jesus. Have mercy on us and help us if you can, Jesus, right now. I'm struggling to believe this, but I want it so badly. Like, I'm struggling to believe that you can do this, but I want it to work. Jesus, I don't know if you can really do these things, but I'm coming anyway. Jesus, I don't know if you really will forgive me, but I'm going to ask anyway. He had faith that pushed him towards Jesus in his season of doubt. I love, there's a, a writer from the Fordham Center on Religion and Culture. His name's Terry Eagleton. That's what he says. Doubt isn't some sinful lapse from unwavering faith. It's actually built into it. A proposition you couldn't doubt wouldn't be a matter of faith. Did you catch that last part? A proposition you couldn't doubt wouldn't be a matter of faith. See, here's something we learn from this story with the Father. What follows every if statement is an opportunity to witness the power of God. If you can, is an opportunity to witness the power of God in a mighty way. And maybe you're in a season right now where you've got a lot of if statements that you're making in your head. God, if you'll do this. God, if you can. If you will. And every if statement you make, those are opportunities for your faith to grow or your fear to take over. Your faith to grow or your fear to take over. Another example we see in Matthew chapter 14 where Jesus, the disciples are in a boat, they're on the Sea of Galilee, and all of a sudden they see Jesus walking towards them on the water. And Peter's in the boat and he looks out and he's like, oh my gosh, what is happening right now? And this is what Peter says to Jesus in Matthew 14 verse 28. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, Tell me to come to you walking on the water. He says, if it's you, and before you know it, that if statement has led to Peter stepping out of the boat, walking on water. An incredible witness of God's power that Peter says, if it's you, and Jesus says, yes, it is, come to me. And Peter steps out and he starts walking on water until he took his eyes off of Jesus, but that's a different teaching. That's a, we'll do that another week. Let's go back to the dad. And I want you to listen to Jesus' response. He says, if you can. And Jesus responds in verse 23 and says, what do you mean, if I can? What do you mean, if I can? Anyone, anything is possible if a person believes. And I want you to hear this morning, that is what Jesus says 
to whatever that if statement is in your mind. The same Jesus that conquered death, that demons look at and shudder, that walked on water, that loves and forgives, that paid for our sins on a cross and rose three days later, that Jesus looks at you and says, what do you mean if I can? Of course I can. Of course I can. If you will believe. And the father's amazing response, verses 24 to 27 The father responds, he instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Help me overcome my unbelief. And when Jesus saw the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak, he said, I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. Then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into a violent convulsion and left him, and the boy appeared to be dead, and there was a pause. As the crowd looked, and the crowd started to doubt, and the crowd started to whisper as the boy laid motionless in the dirt, and it appeared death had won, the crowd says, he's dead. But Jesus walked over, took him by the hand and helped him to his feet, and he stood up. Just imagine the father's joy. Imagine the people's reaction. Imagine the boy, the first time he had felt free and of a sound mind his entire life. And the statement that that resonates with me as we wrap up this series on doubt comes from the Father in verse 24. He says, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. In seasons of doubt, listen, you don't need enough faith to fill an ocean. You just need enough to take your next step. And what you will find when you have just that much faith is that it's in the doing faith comes to life. It's in the doing that our faith comes to life. The Father, it wasn't some big dramatic step of faith. It was simply saying, if Jesus really can do this, I have to at least try. He wasn't certain, but he was determined. And Philip Yancey, who's an American author, he said this, Where there is certainty, there is no room for faith. Where there is certainty, there's no room for faith. Peter wasn't certain that he would walk on water, but he had faith and he stepped out of the boat. And I wonder this morning what doubts are holding you back from doing something God has asked. Is there an unknown? You you feel like God is calling you to do something that's radical or uh, it leads you into a place that you've never been before. It's unknown. It's scary. There's a little bit of doubt and there's a little bit of fear. If that's you this morning, perfect. That means you have room for faith. In perhaps the most famous story of doubt in the Bible, John chapter 20 tells us the story of Thomas, whose doubt became so famous that his nickname became Doubting Thomas. Thomas. 
And in John chapter 20, verse 25, the disciples tell him, they tell Thomas, listen, we've seen Jesus. He rose from the dead. And this is Thomas's response in verse 25. He replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound in his side. That's Thomas's response. Eight days later, Jesus shows up. And he looks right at Thomas and listen to what he says. He said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. And then listen to this next part. He says, don't be faithless any longer. Believe. And Thomas responded, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. But blessed are those who believe without seeing me. I want you to catch that because that's important. That's a blessing that Jesus offers. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Who are willing to step out in faith, even in uncertainty, and trust that I can and will provide, that I will meet them, that I will take care of them, even in uncertainty. Even in the doubt and even in the questions. We have some uh, church planning friends. Allie and I love dearly. They started a church in a really expensive part of the country. Now, most people, when they start a church, do church planting, what, what most people do is they find a bunch of partner churches to commit financially and with people to send, or they go through like a church planting network so they feel like they have support kind of behind them, or they do a bunch of fundraising to cover the cost for the first few years, okay? That's typical church planting. Now, our friends are crazy, okay? Our friends are crazy because they felt strongly that God was asking them to not do any of that, and instead to use their own savings account to start the church. And so with massive uncertainty, that's exactly what they did. And every week for months, they watched that savings account go down, down, and down, and down, until they watched their final thousand dollars leave their account. And the questions, and the doubt, and the, God, if this is what you wanted, where are you? Less than 72 hours after that thousand dollars left their account, they got a call from a friend and received a check. And that check paid them back every cent that had left their savings account up until that point. It's in the doing that we watch our faith come to life. It's behind every if statement we see God work in incredible ways. Now listen, I, 
I don't know where each of you are at when it comes to your spiritual walk this morning. That's between you and God. We got people all over the map. We got people that maybe today it's just you need to be more bold in your faith at work. Maybe today it's just taking that next step forward where you feel like God is leading you, even though it's scary. Or maybe today it's forgiving someone or forgiving yourself. God's forgiven you. So allow yourself to forgive yourself. Or maybe this morning you feel God asking you to take a big step. To actually surrender your life to him and choose to follow Jesus for the first time. Your father in heaven is looking down on you and he loves you. He loves you. If it's your hundredth time here or your first time here, he looks down, he sees you, and he says, I love you. And he wants a relationship with you, and he wants to give you purpose and show you his love and his mercy. And this morning, you've heard what Jesus can do. You've heard who he is, and you now know that he wants to have a relationship with you. And now the question is, are you ready to take that step in your faith? God, if this is true, I'm in. And if that's you this morning, here's what I want you to do. I want you to just pray this prayer with me. Right in your seat. I want you to pray this prayer with me. If that's you this morning. I want you to pray, God, I have disobeyed you and I've been selfish. And I'm sorry. I've been running from you and I've been living for myself. And I see now that without Jesus, I've come to a dead end. So this morning, I ask you to be the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Now listen, if you, if you just prayed that prayer for the first time, which I hope you, if you did, I'm excited. Because the Bible actually gives you like, here's your next step. You pray that prayer. You choose to start following Jesus. In that moment, boom, you have a next step. And that next step we see in Acts chapter 2. It says, those who believed what Peter said and chose to follow Jesus were baptized and added to the church that day. About 3,000 in all. Listen, the people in the early church, they heard about Jesus. They believed in Jesus and they showed everyone through baptism, I'm going to follow this guy for the rest of my life. Just like maybe you have done this morning, where you've chosen to follow Jesus this morning. And if that was you, your next step is to be baptized. Now, let me be clear. Baptism, it doesn't earn you any extra grace. There's nothing special about this water. In fact, it's pretty cold today. Baptism doesn't save you. Baptism doesn't earn you any extra favor with God, but it is a symbol of our devotion to him and that we will follow him for the rest of our lives. I, I put this ring on my finger when I got married, right? But if I take it off, I'm not all of a sudden single. It's not how it works. 
This ring is a symbol of my marriage. It's a sign to my wife and to those around me that I belong to someone. That I have a relationship with someone. Baptism, it doesn't make us right with God, and it's, it's not some gateway to a relationship with God, but it is a symbol of our relationship with Him. And it's a sign to God, and it's a sign to other people. Listen, this is who I belong to. This is who I'm going to follow. The person before Jesus, that person's going underwater and never coming back up. That new person has chosen to follow Jesus and wants to walk in new life. That's what baptism is. And today we have a few people who have decided they want to take that step before God and before all of us. That to, to show that this person that I was before Jesus, that person's gone, and today I'm ready to walk a new life. But there are also a couple other groups in this room. The first is maybe you've been coming here for a while, and you've made the decision to follow Jesus, but you just haven't taken this step yet. If that's you, we want to baptize you today. Why wait? Why wait any longer? You've committed to follow him. Now show people what it looks like to be a follower, that, that the old you is gone, there's a new you that has chosen to follow Jesus and walk in new life. And if that's you and you're like, well, I don't have shorts, I don't have a t-shirt, I don't have a towel, we have all those things for you. The only thing you don't have is an excuse, okay? We're ready to baptize you and we want to this morning. Don't wait any longer, take that step. Now, those of you that have chosen to follow Jesus and you have been baptized, here's what we're going to do. We're going to party and we're going to celebrate these people. Because the Bible tells us when one sheep returns to the shepherd, there is a party that happens in heaven. And so we're going to join that party in heaven today. And so, listen, this morning, if you are ready to be baptized, if you are ready to take that leap of faith, whether it's your first time here or your hundredth time here, you're never too far gone. You can, there's always an opportunity to take this. And if that's you this morning, on the count of three, I'm going to have you head out the doors and go to the Connection Center to get your shirt, shorts, and towel. And then we're going to baptize you this morning. We're going to celebrate. And for the rest of us, we're going to stay in here. We're going to worship during this final song. And then we are going to celebrate in these baptisms. So if that's you this morning, on the count of three, I'm going to have you go to the Connection Center. You ready? One, two, three. Let's do it.